Welcome to the Luminous Path. I'm your host, Shaman Rami. This show is dedicated to exploring the sacred paths we all walk, the defining moments that have shaped our journeys, and the wisdom we've gained along the way. As many of us are setting our intentions for this upcoming year and that invigorating energy of possibility is in the air, I find myself looking back at the past, honoring where I've been and how far I've come, and acknowledging that there is still more that needs healing. All the intentions I've set for the future are requiring something of me in return. And I'm being reminded that we can't simultaneously cling to comfort and step into our destinies at the same time. Change requires sacrifice. And a new dream can't be born unless the old nightmare dies. I decided to make the theme of today's show about turning points along the path. My friend Ryan Cartwright was just in town visiting our home in Joshua Tree for the new year. And when I asked him to share a story about a turning point in his life, a fork in the road, he chose to tell this story about our first time doing a healing session together a year ago on New Year's Day, 2019. So I'm currently at San Francisco State University I'm in the humanities department with concentrations and all sorts of things, philosophy, literature, the arts. And in preparation, I was taking some classes at San Francisco City College. Uh, one of the classes I took because I needed to fulfill a science requirement was a conceptual physics course. And the last time that I was here, I had just concluded that class. And it was a lot of fun. I liked the uh, professor quite a bit. He would like, you know, get on skateboards and do all kinds of funny things with springs. I had been struggling to connect with, with, with the spirit and with the earth around me and what all of that meant. And I was um, experiencing a lot of pessimism in my own personal life. And one of the things that I was carrying around with me that... Um, I had learned, but was really just my way of interpreting, um, you know, kind of uh, reverse engineering reasoning and concepts from, you know, whatever academic subjects, was the second law of thermodynamics. Essentially, the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy is a natural part of the trajectory and the course of time and of the physical universe and the cosmos that we inhabit. And if you've ever heard the term the heat death of the universe, it has to do with the fact that in a closed system, things will always come apart. And uh, part of the concept of the Big Bang is that everything started as this tiny, tiny little one thing and then exploded out into the cosmos and as um, it continues to do so, things get further and further and further apart.
this was really troubling to me, the concept that this world would end. I mean, we all know that, you know, the earth is temporary. We all know that our bodies are certainly temporary and that, you know, the way that earth element is understood symbolically is linked between those two things. It was just bumming me out. <laughs> and um, that was the headspace that I was in when I was lost in Joshua Tree. When we came together, it was actually quite beautiful. We have made a bit of a tradition of spending time together in Joshua Tree on New Year's. It's a convenient time. We've had friends married at, here at that time. And it was looking like I wouldn't be able to make it. And a lot of that had to do with my own irresponsibility and my own incapacity to, I don't know, get my together. And there was a lot of conflict leading into it as well. There was a lot of, I don't want to do this. I don't need that, both from me and from other people. And there was a bit of um, some gossip going around. I mean, you know, some real childish. I feel like a lot of our teenage selves have been coming up because we've all been friends for a very long time. Um, at the last minute, a few people just put a couple bucks together and sent them to me, and I got on a flight with like a tiny little bag, and I was wearing a white dinner jacket. And I came up, and you know, only a handful of people knew. It was a surprise to everybody else. I mean, I was so happy to be here, but I was in a pretty weird space. I was in a pretty entropic space, a pretty pessimistic space. I, I was um, submitting to some of my bad habits throughout the experience, definitely drinking a lot of alcohol, consuming a lot of things in a way that was not healthy. And that was New Year's Eve, and it was actually, it, it was a rather beautiful experience because the power of this land is so profound that, you know, I remember at one point stepping out into you know, whatever yard we had, looking out at the stars, which were just incredible. And I live in the city, so to see the stars like that, I felt like each one was telling me something. There was something happening inside of me. Um, not inside of my body, though. And the next day, we woke up. I probably, you know, drank a beer in the morning, you know, to help ease my clang, clang, clang with the trolley head or whatever. And there was talk of doing work with Rami. I started to get really nervous because, uh, first of all, I had no idea what that entailed. Uh, I, and I, you know, I also, in having tried to write about it, I won't go into many of the finer details of the process. But I will say <laughs> that we went outside and we were on the earth and it was cold. And, you know, we started going through the process of everything. And I, you know, again, the pessimism was coming in. And we started to work. And it was, when, when, it, when it began, it was a physical feeling, uh, like 
not quite unlike electricity, but not exactly that either. There was a lot going on. Um, the wind, like, just started whipping. I mean, it was out of control. And, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't understand that there was, that, you know, what healing meant, really. And all of this, everything started to come up. You know, childhood trauma, self-loathing, addiction, heartache, um, my own self-image, all these sorts of things were just exploding out of me. I was weeping deeply. I mean, you know, my nose is running. I was blubbering. It was, and, and it was intense. And there were, I started to feel and almost be able to see in my mind's eye the entities that were there or the, the other things, the other things that are unseen. I felt like we were doing it for an eternity. And the, the, the pain and the tears, there was so much to it. And, there were, and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> this is a lot of fun. This is a great way to start my new year. No, I, I really didn't think that. It was just, I was so in it. And as we continued, it was like this roller coaster that you were just like working your way up. And then we hit the crest of the wave and I just... started thinking about the second law of thermodynamics in the middle of all this stuff. Because now I'm like, okay, sure, had my heart broken. Who cares? Like, okay, I was abused as a child in many ways. Okay, whatever, I'm not a child anymore. That doesn't need to define me. And I didn't even realize that I was working through these things as I was doing it. And then I started thinking about the big thing, the heat death of the universe. And then I'm surrounded by all this other, otherworldly things, things outside of my comprehension. And I realized that none of that mattered either. You know, we have such a keyhole perception that who's to say that isn't a part of the oscillation of the universe? Maybe who's to say that the universe are, you know, cosmos with these mechanical laws? isn't like a white t-shirt even if i lose my favorite one there's always more and again i'm not a physicist but that was like the most profound breakthrough maybe of my entire life not that it that nothing matters there was no nihilism but that there's nothing to be afraid of because it doesn't matter and that's a very sort of like everything is suffering buddhist sort of thing and then everything is suffering so you might as well smile 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 now we're over the top of the hill and we're coming down but we're still ramping up of course and it was like this profound sense of gratitude and this depth of of understanding that i I had never experienced. And the, the gratitude that I felt was so strong that it really never went away. 
I could feel the earth beneath me and I could feel the sky above me. And the whole time the wind is just barreling through the valley or the canyon or whatever it was. I was crying and I was in so much pain. And then I was possibly the happiest that I've ever been in my entire life. And when it was over, it was like there was all this understanding, there was this sort of telepathic communication happening between Rami and I. When it was over, you know, it was kind of one of those things, it was so such a blissful experience, and I was, you know, my tears of pain had turned to tears of joy, and I could just, I was just, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was all I could think. I did the profound gratitude, not just for the experience, but for the totality of existence for the very heat death of the universe that was troubling me, for all the pessimism in my life that had led me to that exact moment and to that exact revelation. And um, when we came back inside, I was like, I wasn't a different person. It, you know, the goal, as Rami said beforehand, when I was shaking like a leaf in preparation, not knowing what I was getting myself into, is not to make you less Ryan, but to make you more Ryan. And that was the thing. I wasn't a new person. I was me. I am. And it was beautiful. I love myself. And that was another conclusion that I came to. This was like, you know, I, I built this categorical syllogism in my mind through the process where I said, okay, I love all of creation. I truly do. I love every human being. I love every plant and animal and we are all one. Therefore, I must love myself. You know, my rational uh, postmodern mind was so like keyed into this and then I, I was like, oh, well then I must love myself. And that feeling is also not subsided since, you know, we all have moments of self-doubt. We all have moments of, you know, being highly critical of ourselves. And sometimes these are the tools that we use to keep us safe. They can be very valuable. Uh, but confidence is key in, in so many things, you know. The, the, the fake it till you make it trope is um, a great way to build a, a spiritual practice or a podcast or a relationship or to just move in the right direction. You don't even have to know what it is that you're searching for. You just have to know that you're searching for something and it'll get you there. You know, there are so many divergences, and that's great. That's part of the fun. And yeah, when, when we laughed, I mean, we were... I mean, the laughter that we shared, the depth of gratitude, the refreshing lack of cynicism that I was experiencing. But I was still myself. I could still take a joke. I could still make a joke, you know? There was... And you know, that playfulness is, is great, it's okay. Be yourself, be funny, you know? Rib, rib your homie, like, <laughs> give them a hard time. That's cool too, you know? Indulge in, in laughter and whatever else. And when I went back to San Francisco, 
mean, <laughs> everyone was a little bit blown away. And, uh, you know, it was just such a positive experience. And I began meditating. I started playing music again. I was able to get a lot of my uh, addictions under control. And, you know, that's not to say that I haven't faltered in any of those things since. And even recently, I've struggled plenty. But in, in the process, I, I've learned so much. You know, there's all these memes about how terrible 2019 was and everything. And I can't help it. I have to say it was the best year of my entire life. bookended by such profound spiritual experiences but I also worked really really hard really hard it was my first year at university and I'm a bit older than the average university age so I put a lot of pressure on myself and I've built incredible connections with peers and with faculty and um, you know academia in general I've honed so many skills I've become a better writer I've become a, a stronger thinker and it's because I did the work. And at times it became difficult for me because I was so overloaded. You know, I work, I go to school, I do this. I have a lot of friends and obligation and artistic ambitions. It's a lot to balance. But I got so much better at all of those things. And I am far from, you know, that is all part of the journey. I'm far from complete. I will never be wholly complete because I am just a tangible, imperfect human being, and that's fine. That's great. <laughs> I started doing this thing where I would walk out of my front door and I would just follow the stoplights. Because I live in kind of like Mission Bernal area in San Francisco, and uh, and even the stop signs too, you know, if there's a car coming, okay, I'll walk in the opposite direction. And just seeing where I would land and what, where it would take me. There's this old situationist practice where they would take a map of London to Rome and then follow the map of London around Rome and then you inevitably meet an English person <laughs> or get some uh, fish and chips or something like that or something completely different. But I discovered my, you know, the city that I lived in in a new way. I made new friends. I saw old friends walking around. I discovered beautiful pieces of nature that were so close that I completely neglected to discover until then. But that's okay because when I did find it, it was all the more powerful and unique and interesting because of the fact that I had not been there before, which is a great, you know, metonym for the experience of, you know, the energy work that I did with Rami. Because, you know, it's all there. One need merely tap into it. As we step forward into 2020, this numerically auspicious year, what are your visions for the future? What are you stepping into? And perhaps what do you hope the collective steps into?
I see change. I see a lot of transformation in the future, personally. You know, as I said, I'm in school right now, and I get to spend time with some people that are younger than me. And it is a really wonderful experience. I am filled with a lot of optimism talking to other young, intelligent people, younger than I am. The individual is a mirror of the collective, and the collective is a mirror of the individual. And I think that individuality was something that was so prized in modernity. And I think that we are beginning to move away from that into understanding ourselves as, you know, blades of grass in a field, drops of dew in a wave. I think that we are also reassessing our relationship to magic. You know, science is a very useful tool, but it is, it is not whole. I feel like that's it. I'll just thank you at this point. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's, you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I always appreciate our time together, <laughs> even though it's like once a year. You know, sometimes it's a, uh, a quantity-quality distinction, you know? Yes. <laughs> Ryan Cartwright is an artist, academic, and agitator currently based in San Francisco, California. As a writer, he works predominantly in fiction and criticism, focusing largely on art, politics, and culture. A lifelong interest in spirituality, and particularly witchcraft, is tied intimately to these works. <laughs>